0: Welcome, everybody. And today I've got with me a good friend and a brilliant investor, Alina Trujina of Radical Fund. Hi, Alina.
1: Hi. Hi, Raf. So nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the conversation. It's my
0: pleasure. I've been trying to get you on for a while, but you've been so busy closing fund uh, capital dry powder. You you must have a, a bristling wallet right now.
1: Uh, there's never a dull moment in VC, whether you're a startup or a GP investor, and probably if you're a, an LP uh, as well. So, no, it's it's been a busy period, but a good period, uh, especially in climate tech, and especially in some these stages. So, it's been keeping us on our toes.
0: Good. So, what is Radical Fund, first of all?
1: So, we are an early stage VC and um, we're focused on investing in uh, early stage founders so pre-seed seed pre-series A uh, entrepreneurs who are building solutions that are addressing climate change transition uh, in Southeast Asia and for us the the two parts that we look at it is both the climate decarbonization agenda so the mitigation side uh, preventing climate change uh, and reducing uh, greenhouse uh, gas emissions but also the adaptation side uh, so we focus on an inclusive Climate mitigation and adaptation agenda, and we'll be investing in about thirty-five companies over the next five years. And we have a full team uh, at the moment uh, in Southeast Asia, and we'll be building out uh, the team in, in in the respective markets. And uh, again, always on the lookout for amazing entrepreneurs building scalable businesses
0: uh, in the space. So you've just closed. It's a first fund, correct?
1: Uh... It's a first fund in Southeast Asia. Just passed. First close. Our total mm-hmm. fund size uh, is planned to be forty million, um, and uh, you know. But as we have passed the first close, we're able to already invest in, in in ventures. In fact, we've just made our first investment, but I can't talk about it yet because we're finalizing things, and so uh, we're working with that uh, entrepreneur to make sure that we can announce it very soon. Uh, but obviously, very uh, cognizant and sensitive to to you know to their timelines and to the co-investor. Time so that's announcement that announcement is coming coming soon uh, and it's incredibly exciting as you can imagine to to have that first uh, founder in
0: we'll get into that i think you're well you're speaking to me from bangkok you're first of all congratulations It's amazing i love seeing new funds with um, First close is is basically when you can start um, talking about stuff and investing in stuff. But you're in Bangkok, you don't sound extremely Thai, but uh, tell tell everybody about your background (laughs) and how you came to be there.
1: Um, With pleasure. So I moved to uh, Bangkok, to Thailand a year ago, specifically to launch this fund. Between London, UK and Africa, because the previous two funds uh, that I've started with my partner, um uh, both Africa based um and we have a full team there and spent a significant amount of time on the continent uh from about uh, 2017 onwards uh and prior to that I was actually uh running or co-co-running a um an impact fund a true impact first fund and we can get into that uh, but uh that gives you a flavor of sort of my uh my movements uh, but by, by background, I was actually born in a little country called Latvia and raised, uh, kind of ethnically sort of Eastern European, uh, Russian, um, which I still speak, uh, today, uh, but moved to Australia. So I grew up, uh, in Australia. And so I am sort of Latvian, Russian, Australian, not yet Thai, although hope to be one day. Well, Southeast Asian, maybe that, uh, because the Radical Fund is really a regional fund. And, and, you know, and and I get the absolute pleasure to to be in Singapore, where you are, you know, in Philippines next week. Uh, Before that, we're in Jakarta in Indonesia, you know, in Vietnam. It really, you know, the richness of of this region is just incredible. Um, And so if not Thai, then Southeast Asian, maybe sometime soon.
0: So so you went to a university in Melbourne, I understand. And then... um... Did you continue with your education? Like, how did you get attracted to Africa and impact and all these things? Like, what's what's the sort of origination story, if you like?
1: Uh, yeah, so at, at, at the retrospective sort of, uh, retrospectively looking, it's, it always kind of makes sense. Now you look back and you're like, of course that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there were some distinctive moments of well, both decision-making and pivots, and but also sort of deep conviction of, of, of the things that um, I've learned that allowed me to make those pivots. And so the, the kind of, maybe let me give you the very simple didactic kind of transition started in the private sector so um right after my bachelor's uh, started in sort of the corporate world if you like within a media industry specifically so I worked for a number of companies under the WPP umbrella uh so WPP as you know is a, is a large uh, global media advertising uh, creative uh, group and so my my kind of initial if you like time spent a lot with multinational corporates um uh, in in Australia specifically I then got bored and, and wanted to, you know, play a bigger role on a bigger scale um, and uh definitely have a, a kind of a deeper impact than necessarily sort of, you know, helping corporates drive their marketing agendas. Um, so that was a, a deep-seated conviction that uh, made me, uh first of all, do kind of uh, um, my masters uh, in international development, so that was my first switch uh, to kind of politics and international development affairs, and you know that took me to first uh, for a little while to to France, and then to to Switzerland to to do my masters. And, and as I was finishing my studies, I got the amazing opportunity to join the World Bank. Uh, so my plan at the time was to say, well, I want to you know join, and and if I care about impact at scale, what best you know, sector <laughs> to be in uh, then uh, the kind of the UN, the, uh, you know, the multilateral uh, uh, agencies and, uh, you know, joining their mandates. And so uh, amazing time with um, working with an amazing team, um, sort of uh uh, under the World Bank Group, and, and that took me to uh, many different places and many different agendas, uh, obviously, under the World Bank's mandate. So that was my international development uh, kind of days. And and with that, I've learned, and I realize now that i said it's going to be a, a very high-level, uh, sim- simple chronological, and I'm already giving you too much detail, but that took me to innovation because I actually saw that in order to have impact at scale and drive growth and reduce poverty and you know and increase economic prosperity in emerging markets that we the World Bank we're looking at, um, you need solutions that are being built uh quicker and are being um, distributed uh, at scale and that reach uh, many people you know in in innovative ways, right? And it's not just a top down. It's not just through international agreements. It's not just working with the government. Um, And so that was kind of my aha moment to say, actually, entrepreneurship is the vehicle. And I deeply, deeply believe that, uh, obviously, to this very day to drive economic growth and mm-hmm. um, development of, of emerging markets. So that's when I uh, met my partner and and we started the, or, or rather I, I joined um, the kind of the impact uh, vehicle that we were running at the time. And that was Southeast Asia and and Africa. So basically the trajectory is corporate world international yeah. development impact investing like true impact first investing and then we started our you know first commercial funds in going into VC. we've now mm-hmm. structured blended finance vehicles in africa and now mm-hmm. radical which is um bc so i've kind of straddled the kind of corporate impact impact investing um mm. blended finance venture capital to now kind of uh, have an array of different types of vehicles and instruments to be able to play around with different types of funders to deliver outcomes that we want to deliver, but always uh, and only in emerging markets. So that's our kind of impact um, vision.
0: So looking across that, I mean, you've seen stuff, I guess, that many of us, if we've just been in the private sector, may not have seen. Like, what? What? how would you explain the World Bank to somebody? Like, first of all, how does the world have a bank? Uh, <laughs> how like how do you explain the kind of impact and the kind of work that they are doing to the uninitiated
1: I love that question so at it, at its simplest and and it's and it's actually so the world bank is one of the organizations one of the agencies under the world bank group agenda mm-hmm. um so there's actually several different um there's MIGA there's IFC uh, you know EBRD and, and 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 so it's it's a group it's so, a family for the lack of a better word so the World yeah. Bank side of the group uh, is an international development agency, and they are dealing with governments, right? Mm-hmm. So they, uh, you know, again, as a financial institution, I primarily work with governments um, to support and drive the development agenda. And um, I don't know the exact wording today, because this is now. 10 years ago that I left. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. at the time, the agenda was to reduce poverty and increase and increase pr- prosperity. That was at the time it was under President, uh, well, I was under two presidents, um, Zelik and Jim and, and, uh mm-hmm. who came in and, and drove that agenda. And he was very actually, you know, to both his credit and also he has influenced my thinking. Jim Kim was talking about how do you turn billions into trillions? Like, how do you actually leverage the private sector? Because he came from the private sector, um, mm-hmm. and he had, he was an anthropologist by background as well, and and, and worked in the healthcare. You know, and he was talking a lot about how do we actually leverage private financing and and make it catalytic. Um, to deliver you know bigger results when you mm-hmm. uh, mobilize both private and public right and so i was already sort of obsessed with like this nexus between private and public and and, and again as i said that sort of thinking influenced me a lot and that eventually led me to say well there is there must be a better way to deploy capital different types of capital to drive different types of results now the difference a little bit And very crudely to what I'm doing now is, you know, the World Bank is very top down or any other DFI, right? Again, uh, being general, because many would say, well, we're now supporting funds. We're now investing in entrepreneurs. But generally speaking, it's very much top down, working with governments, working with institutions, um yeah. whereas the work that we're doing is very much building an ecosystem of entrepreneurs that are mm-hmm. building solutions for millions of people right and um, so it's it's a it's a uh, it's a both for us it's a both an ecosystem and a systemic uh, obviously mission to increase uh the ecosystem of, of of startups and therefore you know clear impact um but the way we deliver capital is obviously in a different way uh, in, in mm-hmm. to different Agents of change, uh, if you like. Um, so that would be kind of one of the main differences. Obviously, there's there's others um, that we can also unpack.
0: No, that's great. I think we need probably a bit more of both uh, of, the, of the top down and the, and the grassroots stuff. Explain to me that when you said um, the first impact fund you're involved with, you called it, I can't remember, did you say pure impact or something like that? It sounds that's like, like impact that. Impact first.
1: Impact yeah. first. Okay. Yeah, so
0: yeah. Uh, explain to me um, what that was focused on and um I'd also yeah love to then um understand how you first got involved in investing in Africa.
1: It's a great question. It's one of my favorite questions that sometimes doesn't get talked about enough. So I see I see there's a spectrum. Um and think of it as one end of the spectrum is pure philanthropy and charity, right? And Mm -hmm. the other end of the spectrum is pure market returns, pure financial returns, right? Because there's plenty of, again, let's call them investors or entities that are focused, you know, on, on, on commercial returns and, and getting their money and, and, uh, back as a pure ROI. And then there's equally plenty of organizations, companies, investors that are focusing on charity and philanthrop- philanthropic work, right? Uh, then you get somewhere in the middle, agents, um, or, or again, players like ourselves, um, where you can say, well, when we're selecting our portfolio, when we are building up a portfolio and as a fund or as a company, are we, are we more leaning to the left or to the right? Right. And, and because that affects your investment thesis, that affects your culture, it affects everything, right? It affects your obviously mission and vision. And our belief, both at the radical fund and in our uh, Africa uh, funds is that actually you can have commercial returns as well as impact. And even more than that, you can't have scaled impact without having financially stable businesses right so if, if if you can have a depth of impact right so if you're say I'm, I'm going to pump all my money uh, into a, a social enterprise you know down the road in a small community in Thailand, and I might mm-hmm. reach and and an really impact you know whatever fifty hundred lives but real we'll have mm-hmm. you know transform them and and uh, and life changing right but that's not scale, right. What we're focused in is on scaled impact. How do we reach millions of lives? And so again, our and and we're not the only ones who see that. There's many other uh, again investors and and uh, you know VCs who's who say actually you it's, you don't have to be concessionary you know in your financial returns to have impact. You don't have to give something up, right? You don't have to you know. Uh, kind of give up on the financial return in order to have the impact the two go together, right? If if our business reaches mass scale and becomes a an unicorn, that means reaching thousands and millions of lives, right? Maybe thousands, maybe not millions, although. Uh, so that's kind of the general idea. And so when I said... Um, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there's shades of that, right? And, and it's interesting to talk to different people because at the end of the day, you know, it, it is the kind of the decisions that they make uh, that really show kind of where they stand, you know. So our first, and the reason I said it was an impact first vehicle as opposed to what we are now, which is commercial but with impact embedded that's where we are now when we were impact first it meant above everything else we must have impact and it doesn't matter are you commercial are you you know is the business sustainable meaning like operationally sustainable can the business actually grow um yeah. you know first and foremost we, we looked at impact and, and for that specific vehicle it was gender right we absolutely honed in it must you know reach a certain number of uh adolescent girls and women, and we reached two point five million, which is not an insignificant number. Uh, but our lens of investment and support was was impact first um, and then everything else. Whereas now, as I said, we've moved into more of a um, you know a commercial with impact embedded, um, which is again, is equally important on both sides <laughs> that so uh,
0: are the are the investors very different from from those two funds? They I mean, are, the very much expectation so. Expectation would be different, but the type of very much yes. so. And
1: so here's the brilliant thing, right? The 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 times have changed. Um, mm. So this was um, obviously uh, some while back. This was 2013, 2014. Uh, the impact uh, vehicle. Now the funders, they they won't actually you know, commercial investors were governments and foundations. So we had the U.S. government, we had the Australian government, uh, the U.K. government uh, in the impact vehicle, right? So that was that. that. Uh, In comparison to now, the evolution has been, uh, which is very encouraging, that LPs have changed their understanding. Different types of LPs, different types of investors um, have changed their understanding of what I've just described previously, right? And there's now more and more Grant, uh, funding, uh, that's, that's going towards catalytic investments, right? Actually, uh, enabling, uh, and, and crowding in the private sector, which is what really grant funding should do because grant doesn't, you don't get equity for grant. It's just a pure grant. Yeah. At the same time, you have a lot more, you know, pure financial LPs and investors going, well, we see the value, uh, of both and, we're not just going to be pure grant, we're actually going to look at, you know, uh, uh, kind of both grant and equity and, and debt. So uh, the LPs have, dare I say, matured and DFIs, uh, development finance institutions, have matured in their thinking. Foundations uh now no longer investing grant funding, are actually also investing equity. You know, and then similar with corporates, and similarly with family offices, which of course in Southeast Asia there's a lot of um, you know family offices and 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 such like who are investing in portfolio companies. They've also understood strategically that you know just giving grants or just investing pure private equity funding does not build an ecosystem, does not deliver on the returns in 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 the same way. So again, I'm encouraged by that maturity of uh, both impact and commercial. Um, different asset classes and and and, and different again, vehicles. Um, although the vehicle part and the model part can, I think, can also is still uh, uh, maturing or is still uh, you know has has more um, has a potential to develop further. Um, has in terms of the types of uh, instruments that people are using to to deploy money, but that's that's a separate uh, conversation.
0: Interesting. So the investment you're you're saying that you're seeing sort of. A, mature, a maturing of the people investing, um, be it institutions or families or whatever, in terms of their expectation of what, how impact finance should be delivered, and, and ways in which that it can be amplifi- amplifying more capital to kind of come in uh, to to the ecosystem, rather than just purely about say. Touching lives or delivering a return with some amount of CO2 sequestered along the way—is uh, that—is that your observation from before and to now?
1: Absolutely, and and that's not to say that you know there's not no room for improvement. Um, mm. I'd be kidding if I told you that I'm stopped having such educational conversations. Every, mm-hmm. You know, every day or every week, uh, that I talk to a potential uh, investor or potential partner, um, I'm, you know, I'm still explaining the difference and the need. Um, and again, some, some get it. Uh, because that's, they've gone through the journey and they've, you know, strategically aligned. And, uh, you know, we have great examples of, of, of such, uh, such investors and others are still on that journey. And so require a little bit more of that education. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say, and, and, and this kind of a little bit goes back to your previous point about, you know, what's the difference between kind of a, a DFI versus somebody like, like us. And again, there's many, many differences. The other point is being on the ground and being local right, is incredibly important because we are investing with a needs-based, markets-based approach. It is mm-hmm. so important for us to know exactly what entrepreneurs that are our investees need, right, mm. and, and therefore adapt to it. And we continue to adapt, you know, and in our investment strategy changes, our operations change, the type of people that we hire change. Um whereas the tendency for kind of larger players, and that's not just e f i s it's the same thing with large corporations is because they're so top down they fail to understand the nuances of the local users and customers and whether it's entrepreneurs or yeah whoever they're serving and so you know, you've got one world which is, and I come from that world, and I, I clearly remember the days when I was like, wow, this report, you know, says 40% or that report, you know, and quoting all these wonderful reports was actually, and, and this is what I was craving, the reason I also changed. When you're on the ground and you know exactly what your beneficiaries or your customers or your investees need uh, mm-hmm. in order to propel them further, in order to grow, in order to, again, scale, the two are completely diabolically different. Um, so that's why I always sort of encourage anybody who works at large institutions, you know, reports are great because they provide a, a, a uh, you know, mass research projects and, and kind of aggregation of insights. Mm-hmm. But investing with the user in mind, and in our case, it's the founder, uh, beats everything. And so I think that's what makes uh you know, VCs also successful investors or impact investors. Uh, successful investors, those who do that.
0: And do you think it's easier fundraising from European or let's say global north type investors in well, obviously you're European, I'm European, you know, I'm here, we're both sat in Southeast Asia, we've both been here quite a while, but you know, why isn't that money going directly from the DFIs to local um well people who certainly look more asian than me uh, in 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 places like bangkok is it because it's easier to have somebody that you're closer to that that you trust more or what what do you think um what do you think of the dynamics at play because I feel like when I go back to Europe, there's a very different maturity level or kind of understanding from institutional investors and things, is that uh, uh, compared to perhaps um, it's more nascent in other other parts of the world. But that is, you know, that could be just me coloring it. I I'd be interested to know what your what your thoughts are on it, because why is it that you know it, it plays out this way? Because there's a danger; it's, it sort of appears quite colonial, you know, in terms of you know, mm. like. Or coming in and say of helping um, impoverished, um, you know, women and children or whatever in 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 Africa. It, it's like uh, you know we're coming in with a, a cape or something to be heroes, but it's not really. It's not meant to be like that, really, is it?
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and um, well, let me comment on that last point, and then I'll, uh, I'll shake it of the experience in terms of fundraising. Part of our responsibility, and it has been the case, part of our mandate too both in Africa and here in Southeast Asia, is actually to dispel a lot of these misconceptions and myths, right? Mm. Um, It pains me to still have conversations about how do we help Africa, you know, leapfrog? How do we help Africa rise, you know? I, every time I hear that comment, um, sends chills down my spine and, and we fight, you know, we fight to actually change those perceptions. And, and again, at a high level, as, as a, and so, you know, certainly the case for Africa as a brand and as a investor, you know, part of our impact is actually changing those perceptions in the West. That Africa is a charity case. It's not, right? Mm. And it is very, again, patronizing and entitled and privileged to think that somebody's money who's sitting up in new york is is absolutely needed to help africa rise um so that's that's just that's and 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 to an extent although to a lesser extent i get the same comments about southeast asia but it's you know the the kind of the whole again charity philanthropy anyway that's 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 that uh, piece in terms of like the the fundraising what i've seen i've actually experienced both and i can only speak to obviously you know my own experience over the last kind of two years and and to an extent, anecdotal evidence from colleagues and peers. And that is that, again, there's no doubt that Western investors, there's an increased, increased interest from the West, and I'm mm. broadly taking the West, in Southeast Asia, um, right? Um, and yet there is a level of mistrust, there's a level of risk, of course, there's a level of risk. You know, investing in a place that's, uh, Sorry, investing no. in a place, no worries. <laughs> Uh, uh, Singapore, Yeah, so there's a level of, obviously, an uncomfort and level of increased risk perception when you're, you know, an uninformed or, uh, you know, if not uninformed, then, you know, an investor who hasn't invested in emerging markets before, it's scary, right? And a lot of people don't for that very reason would not actually look at Southeast Asia or any other markets, you know, because of that. Um, So there's a level of education, you know, what is Southeast Asia like? And and again, part of our role is to be that trusted partner on the ground to say, you know, we're here, our entire team is here, the portfolio that we're building that you would be investing in, you know, we understand the regulatory environment, you know, we have the legal environment, we obviously have, you know, a level of expertise that you don't have access to, right? And you don't have the market knowledge that we do. So that's part of the kind of solution that we offer, uh, if you like. But the, the point I wanted to come back to is I've had plenty of conversations that went, oh, we get what you're doing and your track record. And, you know, and, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see somebody like you who's gone through that journey, you know, and are investing and we trust you. I've also had conversations that, to your point, you know, very bluntly was, was told that uh, I'm not, because I'm not local, I'm not Asian, right? Um, that they prefer, you know, that they would prefer to invest in an Asian uh, uh, GP or a VC, which I re- really, really obviously respect. The funny thing, or well, not the funny, the paradoxical thing, I should say, for me personally, is that my journey has been uh, that of a political refugee. So I actually fled, we fled, my family fled when I was very young. For political reasons, where you know I became, we became aliens, and we fled to Australia to seek refuge for five years. We, you know, didn't have that certainty, and finally, UNHCR has supported us and helped us to to getting getting that uh, status. I mean, as you know by now, I've moved a lot around the the, the kind of the world and, and and had lots of opportunities there. But the point I'm trying to make is, what's interesting is, you know, to be told that somebody who is you know, put so much effort into being local, you know, moving, uprooting my life, being here. Um, there's no other way that I can think of running in the Southeast Asia Fund than being here on the ground, you know, and, you know, but to coming from where I come from, uh, to be told that because I'm not local, that there is a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a bias there on their side. So it feels very strange to be, to be feeling. Uh, like an alien, but also not a local, even though I have, I have traveled that and I have, you know, uh, kind of, uh, have put a lot of effort into building only local teams. Um, so the rest of my team is all Southeast Asia, right? But I respect that at the same time because guess what? Our bias. In our entrepreneurs, is that they're local founders. Um, So, and that they grew up here or at least spent a lot of time here. So I understand it. Uh, But that's the kind of the the, the paradox that I sometimes face as a person who's lived everywhere and and nowhere at the same time.
0: Yeah, you don't kind of. uh... Nothing really changes in your appearance. That's the problem with race. It doesn't matter where you move. You don't suddenly become, um, the face doesn't change, right? I mean, it gets older, unfortunately, but, you know, maybe you can wear the mandarin collar or, or you know, the local wear, the local clothes, but there's no real kind of badge of honour if you've been somewhere 20 years. You can really feel like that place is home and you really kind of, uh, I think that's the interesting thing is you're always explaining your backstory when when you're an expat or when you're somebody living, uh, you know, across continents. So we didn't... into that africa like what what you were the work you were doing in africa before radical fund and and could could you share a bit about where you were based? And, and um, then I kind of want to understand, well, I feel like if I, I, and I haven't worked in Africa, um, obviously, it's a continent, there's a lot of places you could be, you know, seeing, I feel like that would be, I don't know, if I would, like, want to move back. So it, like, what, what will, or bring me back to Southeast Asia? So what, tell us a bit about what the work you were doing, and how you felt that the Radical Fund was better placed in Southeast Asia, rather than leveraging the experience you'd already had in Africa?
1: Well, so so radical is in in a way an extension, right, to yeah. the number of funds that we have built and continue to build, and and the broader vision actually is that we will continue to launch funds in other places, okay. um, and, right? So yeah, so so and the Africa the Africa funds are you know thriving. We're now in fund two. In fact, was, as you, as you know, uh, I was just in Kenya last week with the, the entire team. Um, uh, which is now 57 people. Uh, is wow. absolutely incredible. Uh, so the, the vision is, you know, there was a fund two in Africa that was about 35 uh, million US. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now kind of fund two. And that's a blended finance vehicle. So we brought in um, uh, partners, uh, including Mastercard Foundation, Johnson and Johnson Foundation, as well as our existing investors into that. Um, and so we have a venture studio model as well as a, a, a straightforward fund model. Um, mm-hmm. But we raised um, 114 billion literally in the last two years. At mm-hmm. which point I said, "Great, my job is done. I can move and launch, uh, you know, the next the next thing." Uh, so it was the best timing in in, in that sense. Um, so, yeah, so, so I, I continue to be, um, to an extent to, to be involved in that work. I'm, I'm a board advisor and more importantly, you know, the, the now CEO who is in, in Africa is, you know, is a partner, um, you know, and, and kind of we, uh, basically we are together with him as well as my immediate business partner. Uh, Rue Rogers, who is based out of London, the three of us are, are continuing the vision of building out vehicles in, in in different parts of uh, again, as I said, emerging markets. So mm-hmm. um, the hope is, you know, Radical Fund One becomes Radical Fund Two, Three, Four, Five, and at the same time, um, you know, the hope is and the plan is to to launch other funds in in other areas. So Africa is uh, an incredible 54 places. <laughs> So it is a continent. It is, uh, you know, huge. And the diversity of uh, both, you know, I guess the ecosystems, the cultures, the languages, the opportunities, the people, um, you know, I can't begin to describe. We need a whole other podcast for that. Yeah, <laughs> um but it's also evolved uh a lot right from a from a startup uh again from a startup ecosystem from a funding ecosystem you know i i i would be lying to say that it's it's on par with southeast asia southeast asia is a little bit further ahead again from a vc startup perspective um and and kind of the numbers speak for themselves but it's a fascinating place and as i said there is an opportunity to get you know a lot of uh, obviously, reach a lot of impacts and, and touch a lot of lives, and create a lot of basic services, and, and again create markets and, and regulation, uh, as well as disrupt models, um, you know, and, and create new ones uh, and serve people in a different way. So, mm-hmm. for that reason, plenty of work, uh, uh, but also plenty of opportunities, uh, which is obviously very, very exciting for us.
0: And I think um, what you just described about your the new fund and the the scale of it you know, that's where if you deliver, it gets very exciting, because you've you've done a great job. And then you're able on the the next fund to, you know, bring a lot more capital in. And now with Radical, your your focus here in Southeast Asia, where where's the scope of your investment geography? Do you you include Southern Asia? Is it all purely Southeast Asia?
1: You're Southeast Asia. Um, Mm -hmm. So and again, sort of, you know, there are uh, we're encouraged to see more funds being started in Southeast Asia that are actually investing in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. because there's actually quite a few that are in Southeast Asia, but invest in US and Europe. Um, yep. We're really bullish on building the ecosystem, right, which is also why we're investing at pre-seed. Again, not many uh, can probably yeah. count them on one hand investing yeah. at that early and the riskiest stage of, of, of the entrepreneurship journey. So, we are Southeast Asia um mm-hmm. as I said with a bias for, you know, local founders, i.e., founders who born, you know, bred and understand the nuances of their market. Um mm-hmm. obviously it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't uh, invest in in people who have lived here and understand might not be born here. Yeah. Um and, you know, with uh, also a slight bias towards female entrepreneurs as well. But the overarching and more important, uh, I guess, impact, if you like, is obviously the climate mitigation and adaptation lens. Um, Why do you think so uh,
0: um, Sorry, I was going to say, why do you think so few of the the investors are looking at adaptation? Like hardly anyone talks about adaptation as if we're, you know, so on target at um, keeping (laughs) climate change uh, under one and a half degrees. Uh, Why do you think um, that's... I hardly see anyone talking about adaptation.
1: Yeah, I think it's changing. In fact, um, I was just just before this uh, podcast, I was, I was reading uh, August twenty twenty two, so last mm-hmm. year, article by the HBR that talked about why we should be investing in climate adaptation. Uh, so there's there's a change in discourse, um, and also uh, there's a change in data. Because right, we all need data to be able to statistically say X matters, and you know we need Y in order to deliver on X, for example. Um, but to answer your question, my my very simple view is that it is harder to define. You can define GHGs, and you can put a stake in the ground and you can measure it. Um, adaptation is is broader in its complexity, um, so it's you know you need to work a little bit more to understand what you're tracking, why you're tracking. You know, what does kind of um, what do the annual losses look like, and how do we actually address that? You know, and and so it's a little bit more, I guess, elusive in a sense, right? Uh, and it requires kind of more work, and, and probably, you know, uh, some people might might consider prevention more important than actual adaptation. Whereas we take the view that if you look outside your window, I don't know about your window, my window, uh, certainly Jakarta's window or Manila's window, uh, you know, we're on the pathway to. Uh, doom and gloom and so we need to uh, actually do something about adapting to the reality of the fact that disaster is already here and, and, and climate change is here and we go not be on the 1.5 degrees that's for sure so um, so I think that's, that is a huge and a very important to our investment thesis as well
0: Awesome, well it's encouraging that like First of all, I'm you know amazed and uh, thankful—not amazed, but like grateful—for the work that you've been doing and leading leading the charge, kind of uh, an inspiration for other people uh, in in Southeast Asia who are who are trying to basically um, emulate some of your great work and. Basically, you're open for business. Radical Fund is ready for even pre-seed stage exciting entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia tackling climate and, and adaptation, as you've just discussed. You're also open to conversations. Uh, I mean, we, we don't have much time because you have to go and uh, pitch for some more money straight after this. But um, who, who, what's the best way to get um, uh, in touch with you? And uh, we can obviously uh, attach all your details in the show notes, etc. The
1: best way is to go visit our website, uh, mm-hmm. theradicalfund.com. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. Uh, so And there's an email, uh, connect at radical-asia.com. Uh, that you can reach us on, and one of us will definitely reply. Um, but it, it definitely, definitely, uh, entrepreneurs, partners, VCs, academics—we're um, also building a, a community I think, with all others in collaboration with all others in Southeast Asia. So it's not a one-man's or woman's job, and we we recognize that. Um, again, collaboration is key. So please, please come, and we'd love to
0: partner and talk to you. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed spending this short amount of time with me. And uh, I'm sure all our listeners did. So thank you.
1: Talk to you for hours, Raf. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really loved it.